A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Unheard, I'm Florence Reed. Here at Unheard, we don't usually get into the fray of celebrity culture, despite my best efforts behind the scenes, but one story seems to speak to something strange that's happened to how we understand each other in Western culture. Ye, the artist formerly known as Kanye West, has gone in a matter of months from a world-famous rapper with huge brand deals and a legion of adoring fans to appearing on Alex Jones's Infowars, praising Hitler and posting inflammatory screeds on Twitter. He has reportedly lost over a billion dollars after being cut by his business partners and has been roundly condemned for his anti-Semitism. It's not clear if he will ever recover reputationally from the stigma of this episode. But here's the problem. It's no secret that West has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, a condition that could lead to periods of mania and quite possibly strange or antisocial behavior. Mental health awareness, as it's often called, has never been more prominent in public discourse. But does awareness equate to understanding? And are we reserving it for only the most palatable of cases? Joining me to wade through this quagmire is Freddie DeBoer. Freddie is a writer who has, amongst many other things, documented his own experience of mental health. He is the author of The Cult of Smart and is also, by good fortune, featured in Unheard's hefty new print edition, which if you order now will arrive in time for Christmas. So get yourself a copy while stocks last. Happily, he joins me live from Brooklyn, New York. Freddie, welcome to Unheard. Thanks for having me. Perhaps the best place to start is by talking a little bit, if you don't mind, about why you're so interested in the ways in which mental health is dealt with in the public forum, because you had a very, very public mental health crisis of your own in, in 2017, which culminated in making false claims against another writer. So while no two stories are the same, there is some insight here, perhaps, into what Kanye West might be going through. So could you just tell me about your memory, if you have any, of, of that time? Well, I think it's important to say that there, uh, while what made the 2017 uh, breakdown unique was that it was very public, uh, that I was sort of acting out on the internet, uh, but uh, it was not at all unique uh, in my own life. For 15 years um, or more, about 15 years exactly, actually, I had been in a cycle of very common to people with bipolar disorder, uh, which is of being medicated briefly uh, and in treatment and then dropping the treatment, leaving treatment, usually without consciously really realizing I was doing so, uh, and then getting back into my bipolar cycle of mania and depression. So that the experience of having a a manic period and a devel a developing psychosis 
was certainly not new to me. Also, another thing worth saying is that the, the public facing part of that crisis in 2017 was only a part of it. I had had some of the typical behaviors that I do when I become uh, deeply manic, which is, includes things like essentially cyber stalking people or harassing them for perceived uh, oppressive behavior on their part towards me or and out of paranoia. But um, I made a terrible false accusation against another writer, uh, M Malcolm Harris. Uh, yeah, and uh, I was uh, appropriately shunned for that for some time. Um, I think that given the nature of that false accusation, um, it was predictable, understandable, and justified uh, that I paid a significant personal and professional penalty. But then I was left to dig out and um, trying to get people to understand the tangle uh, question of personal responsibility with mental illness is not easy. And my uh, position has always been that my mental state does not excuse the things that I do when I am manic, but it does explain them and it should therefore mitigate, not remove, but mitigate responsibility. And I have tried over and over again to be someone who says that we need to neither um, completely exonerate um, people with mental illness when they do bad things or um, blame them uh, without any regard for their mental state, but to try to make difficult decisions about culpability and responsibility and their willingness to change. Unfortunately, uh, in our culture, we have an addiction to uh, moral absolutism. So people are either uh, often regarded as being uh, necessarily all guilty or all innocent. So these kind of features of your manic episode, paranoia, this compulsion to seek people online to pin them as victimizing you particularly. This this is, and I promise this is where the Freddie de Boer, Kanye West comparisons will end here, but th this is something that we are seeing in in the behavior of Kanye West. Do you think that he, he might be uh, suffering from a manic episode akin to something that you had in 2017? I think there's no question that he is suffering from some sort of a, uh, psych a psychological or psychiatric crisis. Uh, and he, he's exhibiting all manner of symptoms that are common to bipolar mania and uh, he has a, a well-documented history with the disorder he's also in the very unfortunate position for someone with uh, bipolar disorder of being a rich and powerful person and that's unfortunate because when you're rich and powerful no one tells you what to do and what not to do and i think that in his life he does not have the, the people necessary to force him into treatment so again as I said, my sort of public-facing element of my crisis in 2017 was just one part of what was happening. And in fact, the reason I got into treatment was um, that I had uh, threatened someone with violence, and I had done it in a voicemail, which uh, is probably not the smartest way to threaten someone with violence. And they uh, uh, got in touch with me and said that if I didn't go to the hospital, then they would definitely call the cops on me. Um, and so I was just dodging the police. And my brother, my younger brother came up and took care of me and went through the whole process with me. 
I don't think that there's anyone in Kanye West's life who can do that to him. I, I, I think that he is too powerful and too well-moneyed and too as enjoys too much fame. And for, what, 15 years, 20 years, he's been um, lauded as a musical genius. And so he has this sort of structure uh, in his life to tell him that everything that he does is a good idea and that no one is there to uh, contradict him. I think that's a very dangerous place to be for someone like him. Well, the more people who know you exist, the more people are going to dislike you. So, of course, Kanye West is someone who has legions of fans. He's also going to, by extension, have legions of haters. So this is a feeding frenzy for them, I suppose. Right. Well, and here's the thing that you have to understand. I, I can't speak to Kanye West's particular mental illness. Um, again, my bipolar manic cycles are defined by uh, ever intensifying paranoia, which eventually becomes delusional, which becomes a psychosis. In the Internet era, it's a really bad time to have paranoid delusions because I, you could always go. I could always go on Twitter at any time because I was a controversial figure even before that, and find people saying bad things about me, which justified and helped to sort of lend some feeling of truth to the psychotic sense that I was being oppressed, right? Like, it's the feeling that people are conspiring against you and are going to come for you sometime. But when I had that feeling, all I had to do was put my name into the search bar in Twitter, and I would find people saying bad things about me, which helped to increase uh, my sense of paranoia. Um, for someone like Kanye West, I mean, he must, he is, you know, in one sense, a, a hugely connected person, but he also must be so deeply isolated. I can't imagine how isolated someone with that amount of wealth and celebrity must uh, be. And again, it just seems like conditions that are absolutely terrible for um, him getting a handle on his life, getting into treatment and getting medicated. It probably also doesn't help that he's married or at least was married into the Kardashian family who are literally overseen in every aspect of their lives because their lives are filmed for a television show. So he's kind of living the Truman Show life. Yeah, and uh, that can't be easy either. Um, it just must be such a destabilizing experience for anyone, but especially for someone with a psychotic disorder. It's almost like his whole world was built to create a kind of perfect storm around him to uh, bring on this kind of foregone conclusion that he was being driven towards this, this singular point of, of breakdown. I mean, it's, it feels, I, I imagine, it feels incredibly real and, um, and planned if you're him. Again, like he is someone who has enemies, uh, as any person of his level of influence must. And so the the perception of having of having enemies, again, is just very easy to confirm in the Internet era, which lends, lends credence to the idea that your paranoia is correct, right? Because there really are people who are sort of conspiring against you, and there really are people who are out to get you, and they're always just a click away. And I think that that is... Uh, a really dangerous situation. I mean, I, you know, what I would want more than anything for him is to go away for maybe two years, you know, to just, just totally go away, to disappear into one of, I'm sure he has many properties, disappear into a, into one of them, uh, see if he can find a psychiatrist who's willing to make house calls, uh, spend a couple of years getting medicated, being in therapy and doing the work of getting well. Um, but again, there's, I don't think that there's anyone in his life who has the capacity to tell him you have to do this. The problem here is that on the other side of Twitter, there are people saying that they understand mental illness and Kanye West is stuck in between these two camps. He's stuck between a group of people who say that he is beyond the pale 
and a group of people who say that they appreciate people who do not live by the status quo, who have alternative lifestyles and perhaps have mental struggles. And yet he isn't finding much understanding when it comes to that. I mean, the, the, look, the fundamental problem is that uh, that rise in awareness that you're discussing is not uh, uh, in any sense deep or sufficiently complex to match the complexity of mental illness and, and the question of culpability. Um, it is now considered ableist to participate in stigma uh, about uh, mental illness. Um, you know, I've had a psychotic disorder for 20 years. Stigma has never been in the top 100 of my problems in life. And so the uh, constant obsession with stigma and its ill effects is very strange to me, but uh, that's the story that people want to tell. The problem is that uh, awareness in and of itself doesn't do anything, and it particularly doesn't do anything if it's an awareness that says things that are not true. So there's a very strange process that's uh, that's been happening whereby the desire to normalize mental illness has meant that the default picture of, a, of a, what a mentally ill person is has become more and more normal. In other words, as you normalize mental illness, in the, at least in the way that we're doing it, you push the people who are suffering the most uh, deeply from uh, mental illness to the side, and you foreground people who have the least problems. And so we've seen this explosion in people identifying as people with anxiety or people with, with depression or people with uh, ADHD. All of those are difficult uh, medical situations, and I think that everybody deserves to have appropriate medical care and to be taken seriously and respected as a patient. And I would never say that those things are less serious or anything, but it is the, the case that those things are less debilitating than things like schizophrenia. And as we have supposedly increased awareness of mental illness, uh, the uh, spotlight has shifted from people with schizophrenia, people with bipolar disorder, people with schizoaffective disorder, et cetera, to people with more minor manageable conditions. These conditions are the ones that would make you much less likely to violate social norms to an extent that would cause kind of massive public humiliation. Like right. sometimes you might see someone walking down the street speaking to themselves. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who suffer from minor issues of anxiety, ADHD. There's been this, 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 this phrase that has popped up that drives me crazy, which is mental illness doesn't do that. So every time that there is a uh, mass shooting in the United States, there's an immediate insistence that mental illness does not provoke mass shootings. And people uh, are very attached to that notion because they want to keep the focus on guns, which is understandable. They also want to insist that white supremacy is the, uh, is the source of all mass shootings, et cetera. But it's just simply not true that mass shootings or, or similar behaviors are never undertaken under the influence of uh, mental illness. We have the example of James Holmes, who uh, something like 10 years ago or, or, a, or a little bit longer brought uh, a shotgun and a handgun into a crowded uh, movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, and he murdered 12 people. James Holmes uh, is the absolute picture of a paranoid schizophrenic. Uh, everything about his story matches the ideology of that disease. Uh, he was the, just the right age to begin displaying psychotic symptoms. 
He, uh, the progression of his disease was well documented. People within his life were saying that he had be was becoming a danger. He had become withdrawn and paranoid. His uh, professors were afraid uh, that he was going to do something. He was given this psychological evaluation. He was uh, determined to be someone who had a problem, but not su a sufficient problem to force him into treatment. He even called a mental health crisis line after uh, immediately before his uh, rampage to try to get them to talk him out of it, but the, the line was disconnected. This is a un, an inconvenient fact for the you know mental illness doesn't do that crowd. There's this desire to see the men mental illness as this like uh, set of quirky personality traits and and uh, it, that's always very photogenic and cute, and it just isn't right. People with mental illness, severe mental illness, uh, defecate on them uh, uh, on themselves in, on the subway in New York. They sleep under bridges. They eat out of trash cans. They attack people. They hurt people. They just you know when I was a, a child. The mental, the local mental institution right up the hill from uh, the, the my hometown where I grew up accidentally let out a violently schizophrenic man due to a clerical error, apparently, and he wandered down to the main street uh, where there was a sidewalk festival, uh, grabbed a bayonet off of an Army-Navy store uh, table and uh, stabbed a seven-year-old girl to death in front of the entire community. Um, these things happen. That is a reality of mental illness, uh, but it doesn't fit the picture of like normalization, right? Like we, the the desire is to see mentally ill people as harmless, but that is simply is not the reality of what we're talking about. Do you think this kind of increased prevalence in self-identifying mild mental illness kind of means that people who have those self-identified mild conditions, be that anxiety or ADHD or whatever else, feel that they are protective over their status as someone who has a mental illness and they want to, in a kind of self-protective way, say, no, no, we are not like that. We are not murderers. We are not people who eat out of trash cans, as you say. And so they're trying to lower the stigma for those with mild conditions by pushing away the people who have these ugly, unpleasant, unpalatable versions of, of the same conditions or, or more extreme conditions. Yes, I mean, look, uh, this is the, the nature of online communities in 2022. Um, anything that becomes an online community, um, no matter what the reason for doing it, becomes a celebration of that thing. And so the mental health communities online uh, treat having mental illness as a status symbol. It's seen as a, a marker of being a, a cool or unique individual. The trouble with that is that mental illness is bad. Right. Uh, the, the celebration is nonsensical because mental illness, by definition, is bad. An illness is a bad thing. People who have mental illness aren't bad, but mental illness itself is bad. So when people are on Twitter saying, I celebrate my mental illness because it allows me to do X, Y and Z in a way that someone else couldn't do, I assume you, you don't think that's up to much. Then I would say that they don't really have one. If you're saying that you celebrate your mental illness, then you don't have a mental illness. I mean, just f flat out. You can say, look. I have ADHD and it influences my life a lot uh, in, in a lot of negative ways, but I am proud of the person that I am. I'm not going to let it define me. That's great. Or if you want to say, you know, I have a OCD and uh, it dictates a lot of my behaviors and I don't want to feel shamed for having it. Of course, that's true, right? But People saying saying ADHD is my superpower is not something ADHD you buy into. Is my, 
Yes, saying ADHD is my superpower is to say is to announce that you do not have a mental illness. Like by by definition, a mental illness is something negative. And I I would challenge those people who are saying that mental illness is their uh, superpower to ever spend any time in an inpatient psychiatric facility as I have and see the just the, the absolutely wasted lives of many of the people that you'll meet there, people who have committed violent crimes, people who have ruined every relationship that they've ever had, people who have, are professionally uh, destitute, people who uh, do things that are, are quite socially unacceptable and sometimes quite disgusting uh, in the in the view of most people, go to those places, find those people who are struggling with chronic schizophrenia that prevents them from living anything like a, a normal life and tell them to their face that your mental illness is your superpower. I challenge anyone to do that. I suppose we need to separate as well here those who are a kind of clinically insane and have therefore committed a crime and it's been documented that their mental illness has caused them to commit this crime, we kind of have a general social understanding that they should have a different treatment, whether that's being put into a high security mental facility or wherever else instead of prison. But what happens to the people who have just made kind of social transgressions? There is no crime. And this is where we come back to Kanye West, because he has not yet threatened anybody. He has not yet gone into a school and committed a mass shooting. I hope he will not. At the current moment, all he has done is kind of tr transgressed social norms to an extreme extent. And obviously it's very ugly, it's very unpleasant to look at, but it's not illegal. So what do we do with those people? Well, again, I think that the, our, our intent should be that we would never neither completely exonerate nor completely blame him, right? The, the point is not that you have to like Kanye West and that his mental illness completely excuses everything that he's saying and doing. The things that he's saying or doing are disturbing. And you are can certainly are free to say, well, you know, if he's accessing these things when and speaking about them publicly, when his sense of, uh, you know, bipolar disorder or mania, one of the things it does is it lowers your inhibitions. So you can conclude if you want to, well, if he's saying anti-Semitic things now under the, when his inhibitions are lowered, then he probably believed them before. I don't know. I don't know the degree to which his, uh, his the things that he are saying is influenced by his brain and or not. And I don't think anyone else knows. And so we have to mitigate judgment. We have to try to speak carefully. I think it would be very appropriate for there to be a path to forgiveness of him in some way or the other if uh, he gets to himself to a point where he's willing to accept treatment. But he has to get medicated, he has to do his therapy, and he has to be under the supervision of a doctor. And like I said, I think the best thing for everyone would be for him to go away for a while. Do you think the romanticizing of mild mental illness, as you've spoken about before, plays into our inability to kind of forgive and, and have mercy on the people who have extreme mental illness or are, are exhibiting extremely antisocial behaviors. Does that actually make us less likely to forgive rather than more? Well, here's the, you know, so th this is a bit of absolute illogic that gets said all the time on, on this very subject, which is people will look at bad behavior by someone who, who is under the influence of mental illness and they'll say, well, I know someone who is mentally ill who doesn't do those things. So 
this is just wallpapering social media right now, right? Uh, plenty of people have bipolar disorder, but don't say anti-Semitic things, right? But if you actually think of the logic of that, it's just totally bizarre. That, that logic is not everyone with mental illness does X, therefore no one with mental illness does X, right? I mean, if that's the standard, if the standard is that we can only excuse things that every mentally ill patient does, then we can excuse nothing because uh, there is no behavior that all mentally ill people undertake. So I'll tell you about a guy named Bailey Hammer from uh, Illinois. This past July, uh, Bailey Hammer stabbed another man in the head and killed him. Bailey Hammer had struggled with schizophrenia for years before that. His parents had fought like hell to get him into an inpatient facility because they knew that him to be dangerous. He himself had called 911 on himself because he knew himself to be dangerous. But the American mental health system is so utterly broken that nothing was done and, and they were given no opportunity for him to be able to be put away for a long time where he could have, have been treated appropriately and that resulted in a murder. And now the man who was killed is dead and Bailey Hammer's life is effectively over because he will spend the rest of his life locked up. Uh, maybe in... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. A mental health facility, but more likely in prison. If you're saying, well, I know someone with mental illness and they wouldn't do that, are you going to say that to Bailey Hammer? That are you going to say, 
oh, I, I know someone with mental illness who didn't kill somebody, so therefore your mental illness cannot possibly have caused you to kill somebody. Billy Hammer told people that he saw demons crawling up his walls at night. He was he lived in a land of total delusion. And it is just so irresponsible and deeply cruel for people to deny the possibility that these things could be the, re the result of or influenced by mental illness. Do you think there's just an element of fear and ignorance there, though, as well, that people might just be so horrified by the idea of seeing demons crawling up your walls that they just want nothing to do with it? They want to distance themselves from that. I think people want to live in a morally convenient universe. I think that they want to live in a universe where they can always completely condemn or completely exonerate, where they don't have to ask themselves hard questions about who uh, uh, is to be is to be forgiven and who isn't to be. I think that they want to live in a world where everything is easy and where they can declare, you know, lustily on Twitter that so and so is bad or so and so is good. I think that we have completely destroyed the idea of a nuanced moral perspective. Another layer of complexity on this Kanye West situation is that there isn't just moral condemnation. There is a, a small but very vocal group of people, particularly online. And as you say, the answer here might be to tell him to step away from his Twitter account, but I'm not sure who's going to be able to do that. But there are people online who vocally support him, who think that what he's saying, these anti-Semitic remarks he's been making on Alex Jones and beyond, are great and exciting for them because this is something that they have been bubbling away, trying to foster online for years. And finally, this major public figure has come out and said it. Well, I think that we one thing we have to understand is that uh, psychotic delusions tend to be to borrow from previously existing conspiracy theories. So when people who have, uh, this is very common with people who have schizophrenia, when they develop paranoid delusions about the world around them, they will talk about things like the CIA, or they'll talk about things like the JFK assassination. They'll talk about the NSA's warrantless wiretapping. They'll believe that the NSA is tracking them by having implanted bugs in their teeth, et cetera. Um, and sometimes they uh, express anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that already exist. If you, if you have a group of people who are conspiratorial by nature, right? I mean, the, the nature of schizophrenia in particular, um, but potentially uh, mania also, is to, uh, is to see shadowy forces that are arrayed, that are committing crimes and are doing bad things that will hurt you eventually. You, you're uh, very likely to borrow the language and the explanations and the, the theories of the conspiracy move movements around you. And I can tell you from personal experience, there's a lot of people in uh, mental illness facilities, mental health facilities, who believe in anti-Semitic conspiracy theories because anti-Semitic conspiracy theories are some of the oldest in the world. They're some of the most prevalent in the world. So you think these that there's a certain degree of kind of just hooking on to the narrative that feels like it fits with a generalized feeling of paranoia and then you can, you know, foster that in this kind of grand story about a Jewish conspiracy. Right. And, and, and again, it, it, it sort of aligns nicely with the idea that you are being oppressed, right? In other words, Kanye West can think of himself as being oppressed because, I mean, look, he's this immensely wealthy and, and, and successful guy, but he still is assaulted by the same sense of paranoia that other people are. And so wh who can you blame? Well, one thing you can do is blame the Jews. And unfortunately, there is a whole 
niche but uh, long sort of standing set of theories that have come out of radical black movements about Jewish people. I mean, that's, this is that's the, the Farrakhan, the Kyrie Irving. Right. So, uh, so Farrakhan, who said that Jewish doctors take black babies into back rooms when they're born and stick needles into their brain, which is why black children perform well, less well in school. That's, that's a good example. There is the whole uh, black Hebrew Israelites, I think they're called, um, which is a very complicated set of beliefs that black people are the actual Jews and that the people who pretend to be or claim to be the Jews are in fact uh, oppressors who sort of took on that mantle, et cetera. So there's that whole, this whole sort of edifice of these pre-existing conspiracy theories. It appears that uh, Kanye West has bought into. Do you think there are malign actors around Kanye West who are kind of feeding him these narratives or do you think it's something he's come to organically? Um, I don't know. I wonder who's in his in his entourage, right? I mean, you can look at someone like Kyrie Irving, who's a basketball player in the United States, who's been facing a lot of public scrutiny uh, because he uh, recommended a movie that repeats the sort of black Hebrew Israelite slur against Jews, and he then refused to apologize for doing it. You know, uh, people out there, there are people out there who uh, are sort of spread these gospels to black celebrities. And, you know, these things have proven to be difficult to stamp out in uh, a lot of sort of black uh, political circles, in part because, you know, the reality of racist oppression of black people is so obvious and so true that it becomes very easy to then stitch that into a grand narrative. Do you think the current story of race relations in, in the US in particular has fed into this, the, the us and them view that has been, I think, promoted by many of the liberal outlets in the US, including, you know, the New York Times, saying that there is a kind of split down the middle of American society between black and white, you see, might see it in a book like White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. Have, has that cultural moment added to this sense that, that someone like Kanye West might feel that there is uh, a, a reason to be skeptical of white people who are in control of some elements of his life, whether that's his, his manager, his personal trainer he was attacking? Is the, is, have, we, have we actually made this worse? Well, so I think that it's important to say that, you know, Kanye is actually... And, and this again fits with the Farrakhan thing. Kanye is actually being critical of things like Black Lives Matter and the current sort of expression of uh, of black politics, at least that as it, as it appears in uh, in the media and social media. He is taking an attack of saying that you know black people have the tools for their own liberation and that they are they suffer not because of the hand of the white man, but because they refuse to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And you know, he famously said that slavery looked like a choice to him because he thought that the slaves had the capacity to uh, emancipate themselves before the Civil War. This is all actually in keeping with, a, again, the, the Nation of Islam, Farrakhan's Nation of Islam, uh, certainly, which is a different organization than the one that uh, Malcolm X was a part of. But Farrakhan is a pull your, yourself up by the bootstraps guy himself. Farrakhan has a laundry list of things uh, about how the the 
white uh, establishment has oppressed black people, and most of the, his complaints are true, those things that happen. Um, but he is a, uh, a conservative. I mean, uh, Farrakhan is a, a, in every meaningful sense a conservative because his his fundamental message of sort of black liberation is we have to do it ourselves. No one's going to do it for us. Uh, we need to clean up our community. You need to pull your pants up, that sort of thing. So there's a long tradition of uh, that sort of thinking that Kanye is currently playing into. And there's another theory, which is, of course, that Kanye West is a kind of performer. He has always been an artist. Um, you see videos of him when he was a young child. He's, he's a natural born performer. And so perhaps this is all an element of a kind of contrarian piece of performance art. He was wearing Make America Great Again hats years ago. He was caught in controversy for many years prior to his uh, diagnosis with bipolar disorder. Was that something we can put down to his um, ebbs and flows of his mental illness? Or is that just a natural part of his personality that makes this even more complex? I don't know. My assumption has to be that Kanye really is at his heart, a particular version of black conservative and Trump supporting. I mean, that's that's been longstanding enough for him that I would think that it would not be a, an indication of a, a particular part of his bipolar cycle. And that, of course, is something that's per perfectly fair to, uh, uh, to criticize. The, again, the question is, is like, you know, to what degree have his lowered inhibitions from his illness and the conspiratorial thinking that often comes with the, with the paranoia that's common to mania, to what degree is that particularly expressing itself as anti-Semitic behavior? And that I can't tell you. And there's a really tough question here, of course, about what it really means to really believe something. If you believe something in the moment in a paranoid state, does that really mean that you believe it? Or is that something that your brain is tricking you into believing? It's kind of different ideas of, of the idea of the mind. And that's another problem is that here we have a total lack of nuance in the conversation about what it means to have intention. I mean, the big phrase is intention doesn't matter. But of course, we all understand legally and socially that intention does matter. And that for someone like Kanye West, there may be a lack of intention here. It seems likely to me that there's a crash coming for him of one form or the other. And on the one hand, you know, I think that that is, would be necessary, a real crash, I mean, to, for him to truly fall apart, um, in, in which case he might force himself or he might be forced by others around him to get help uh, and to get medicated again. But then again, you know, sometimes the crash is suicide or, you know, uh, something else that's life ruining. So it's not, uh, I don't know, I don't see a lot of ways in which this ends happily. And do you think there's an argument for limiting his access to things like Twitter, platforms that are obviously causing him pain uh, in one way or another? Is He has been taken off Twitter for anti-Semitism in the last few weeks and then brought back on sporadically. But do you think there's an argument there for actually saying, you know, we should, for their own good, sometimes remove people from these platforms? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, look, like, I am a big advocate of involuntary health, of mental health care. I think that it's very, very common for people to be opposed to involuntary mental health care and to see it as, uh, a, a, you know, um, completely unfair sort of uh, abridgment of someone's uh, a personal uh, agency, etc. But, um, you know, my life was saved by, by involuntary mental health care. 
uh, and uh, I, I think that um, many, many lives could be saved if we were more likely to be pushing people into involuntary me mental health care because agency doesn't matter if you're too dead to use it. And a lot of people die because the, no one forces them to get help. And so certainly the least we can do, I think, is to remove someone like that from social media platforms for his own good, right? Uh, because um, he is doing real damage to his life. He's now immensely less wealthy than he was before to pick one example. Yeah, I think it's it's perfectly appropriate for the uh, platforms to uh, remove him on the on the operating on the basis that he seems to be in a manic episode. What do we say to those Jewish Americans, for example, who will say, well, look, what Kanye West is saying is is just a kind of releasing of this id of American anti-Semitism that's bubbling to the surface and is showing its ugly face. And this is just actually just a release of something that we, we already knew was there. And it's a really scary time to be a Jew in America. What, what do you say to them? Well, I would say that, yeah, we all have to stand uh, united against anti-Semitism in all of its forms, uh, which is something uh, completely distinct from the question of Israel. I think that um, obviously it's deeply unpleasant to have to live with uh, someone of Kanye West's uh, prominence sharing that kind of rhetoric. I do think that this has forced the, the topic of anti-Semitism out into the open, particularly anti-Semitism in the black community, again, with things like the influence of, of Louis Farrakhan, um, who, uh, you know, had meetings with leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement and who some of them refused to, 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 to denounce uh, Farrakhan. I think that uh, as uncomfortable as it may be, the conversation that we're having now may ultimately be to the benefit of everyone, because at least now the, the you know, persistence of anti-Semitism has been forced into the public arena. The extremity of conversations online, I mean, the use of the word Nazi to describe kind of anyone who is right of center these days, suggests that we have got such a polarized state of conversation in, in, in the US in particular, that actually someone like Kanye West might feel compelled towards a kind of extremity of language. Do, do you think the discourse online has, has contributed to the way he's talking now in, in the public realm? It certainly hasn't helped. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's hard for me to imagine a much more unhealthy discursive culture than the one that we live in right now. Um, unfortunately, you know, when you bring uh, everyone together into these vast digital commons like, like Twitter, the ability to distinguish yourself and to have your message be heard, be heard becomes very difficult because there's just so many people vying for attention. And one of the ways that people achieve uh, that attention is through uh, deliberate extremity. Uh, I, don't, I doubt that's sort of what's influencing Kanye. I think that he is genuinely a unbalanced person who even when he is not necessarily going through a manic cycle has a unfiltered and um kind of a real lack of self-knowledge of uh, an inability to see himself so i doubt that that's playing in, in, uh, into uh, his situation i mean he's had very little chance in his life to kind of see himself in private he's only ever really lived a public life and that must must do strange things to someone's someone's mind, even without a mental illness. That's right. I agree. So what do we do going forward then? How, how do we actually create a discourse that includes more forgiveness, more mercy, more understanding of people with these severe, often ugly, unpalatable versions of, of mental illness? How, how do we move on from here? 
the first thing you do is that you you insist on constantly reminding people about the ugly and unpalatable uh, version of mental illness. I mean, I, I don't say this to just to get a rise out of your viewers or to be extreme, but to pick an example, uh, there was when I was in uh, a facility a very long time ago, there was another patient in there who was uh, on special restrictions because he was known to play with and eat his own excrement, for example, right? If you want to call yourself someone who is an advocate for the mentally ill, and if you want to call yourself someone who uh, is willing to fight for the rights and the good uh, will of mentally ill people, you have to be willing to understand that people like that exist, right? You have to be willing to understand that there are people who are serially violent uh, due to their schizophrenia. Um, you can't keep repeating the lie that mental illness never compels people to be violent, which we just know is not true, which the National Institute of Mental Health tells us is not true. Uh, we know that people with psychotic disorders commit violent crimes at higher rates than other people. We know that people with schizophrenia in particular are, uh, have dramatically higher uh, murder rates, like rates of committing murder than other people. You have to keep all that ugliness in mind, you have to remember people like Bailey Hammer who stabbed somebody in, in Illinois, because if you don't, then all you're saying is, I stand with mental Ill mentally ill people when their mental illness is attractive and palatable to me. If, if you only care about the mentally ill when they have things like ADHD or anxiety or depression, which are difficult conditions to manage, and I, and I wish everyone who has those things well, I've, I've experienced depression in my life that has been absolutely crushing. But most people who have those illnesses are able to continue to maintain a social uh, identity that is not threatening to anyone. And you have to care about the threatening people. You have to center them and you have to keep them in the front of your mind when you are having these discussions about mental illness. Being a kind of mental health ambassador is quite a kind of chic and popular thing to be these days. Quite a lot of celebrities are own. Prince Harry or ex-Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are very vocal about their support of people with mental health. How do you think they'd fare in one of the facilities that you were in? Uh, I don't think that they would fare very well. It's a, I mean, look, they're, they're mostly just extremely boring spaces. I think it's worth saying that um, it's not, uh, you know, the, the, the typical psychiatric facility is not like, um, Arkham Asylum from the Batman comics. Um, most people are not frightening um, in large um, uh, part because they have been dosed with such high doses of antipsychotics that they're effectively sedated all the time. Um, it's a lot of watching Jeopardy in the common room and eating sugar-free jello in the calf and stuff like that. So it's not um, particularly scary, but what it is, is it really is just a portrait of human devastation if, if you go to the right kind of facility. If you're not going to a you know, the, the, there's some very high-end mental uh, health facilities that, uh, you know, are in the tens of thousands of dollars a day sometimes. And so those obviously have a very select clientele. But if you're in the kind of place where people get involuntarily committed, um, uh, then you're likely to find people who have serially ruined their lives, who have very often have uh, intense problems with drugs and alcohol, uh, who have destroyed a lot of the relationships around them. It's an ugly, it's very sad business. And I think everyone who talks about these things would do well to understand that.
could we practice some sort of kind of radical mercy, you know, there but for the grace of God go I kind of attitude? Is that something that we could bring into the future that would help us to foster more understanding of people who have these unpalatable conditions? Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things that we need to protect is we need to protect the legal, the set of legal exemptions and special dispensations that we give to people who commit crimes when they're under the influence of mental illness. Again, um, James Holmes was found guilty of first degree murder. Uh, he was not found guilty. He was not found innocent by way of mental uh, uh, defect, by mental illness. Had he been, he would still never have been released for the rest of his life. It's important to say when we let people off the hook legally due to mental illness, what follows is not they just leave. But what usually follows is um, a court mandated long period of uh, institutionalization and mandated medication and things like that. So what's on what's our kind of non-legal version of that though? If if the two legal pathways are you're put in prison with the general population or you're put in a special facility for those with mental health problems, then what's the alternative to that in a world where someone has not committed a crime? They have just committed a kind of social violation. What's that what's that gentle approach or the approach that actually is specifically for those people who who have mental illnesses? I mean I think that we need to cultivate a culture of forgiveness uh, for anyone, not just for people with mental illness. Um, I think that we live in an increasingly punitive cu culture, and I think that a lot of what social media is, a ton of the activity on social media, is identifying a target and then doing everything that you can to to attack that person and to destroy their life on, under the theory that they're a bad person and they violated some identity norm or whatever. And I think that's been a disaster for uh, for human society that uh, we have forgotten the important role of forgiveness. Um, you don't ever have to like any particular person with mental illness and you don't have to excuse them in your own sort of personal moral calculus. I think if you're uh, someone who's Jewish and you look at Kanye West and you're disgusted by the things that he's done, you have every right to remain disgusted. What I would like to ask for you to do is consider the possibility that redemption might follow, right? Don't close the door, but keep open the possibility that there might be some time when he might make amends. Uh, I think it's very unlikely, but it's possible that he will be forced into treatment eventually, he'll get medicated, he'll go to therapy, and maybe he can make some sort of a donation to a Holocaust museum to, and to give uh, go on a tour where he talks to Jewish leaders and, and learns about the problems of, of anti-Semitism. I think that that is something that could happen for him. And if that did, I would hope that people would leave open the door for forgiveness. But, you know, forgiveness is a very personal and interior thing, and only the individual can kind of understand their own degree of forgiveness. Freddie DeBoer, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That was writer Freddie DeBoer, who, with his unusually specific insight into what Kanye West might be going through, recommends a kind of radical understanding and mercy. It might be difficult, he says, to appreciate the complex factors that can come together to create a perfect storm of mental health and social missteps, but if we could build a culture with more real tolerance for the most ugly cases, then we might be better to each other all round. Thanks to him for coming on, to you for tuning in, this was Unheard. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.